Welcome to the Self-Publishing School Podcast. This is the podcast to listen to if you're an aspiring writer or an author who wants to be more successful. On this show, you'll learn how to write and launch a book successfully, all from the top authors and people just like you who are doing it at the highest level. I'm your host, Chandler Volt, the founder of Self-Publishing School, the author of the book called Published, and the CEO of selfpublishing.com. For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Hey, Chandler Volt here, and joining me today is Kat Wonders. Uh, Kat is an author, editor, speaker, uh, and successful self-publishing school student. We were just talking beforehand, joined almost four years ago. Um, she's published nonfiction books. She's published fiction books. Uh, she's been in the world of self-publishing and editing for more than 10 years. Uh, and personally, it's just been awesome watching her journey over the last four or five. Uh, now we were just talking about this before as well. Now her daughter's writing and publishing books. Uh, she's inspired just a whole bunch of people <laughs> um, to write and publish books and, and, and to use books to grow their business. And so uh, I, if you've seen one of my webinars, I very often talk about Kat. Uh, and uh, it's just been really cool to, to, to kind of see her journey. So uh, what we're going to be talking about today is uh, how she kind of unlocked what we call the author advantage. Uh, and grew a seven-figure business using books, uh, as well as if we have time, which don't hate me if we don't, but we're going to try to get there, uh, how to find and work with a good editor. Um, she runs an editing business and has a lot of really great tips there. So uh, Kat, really great to have you. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. So let's, uh, let's start. How, how did you find self-publishing school? Why did you join? What did that process look like? And, and, and how did that kind of interweave in the journey of uh, of, of, of getting books published? I think I'm kind of an anomaly for how I found it. I was, I had been wanting to publish a book. I came from a career in traditional publishing and I just knew that I had submitted books and it was just a huge pain in the butt. It wasn't going to happen. I didn't think it was ever going to happen. And then I finally started looking into self-publishing and I had actually just um, kind of turned my life upside down. I was literally a circus performer traveling the country in a trailer and I had just settled down to try to get my act together. And I was looking for ways to build a business to work from home because I was dealing with severe chronic pain and I couldn't do the acrobatic thing anymore. I was just, I was broken. So I was doing freelance writing and editing. And then I stumbled across a webinar for self-publishing school, signed up for it immediately. And by the end of the webinar, I just remember I had my credit card out thinking, okay, just stop talking and tell me how much this is so I can sign up. I don't care. And I just remember there was no link and I was so frustrated trying to get through the webinar because I didn't need to hear more. I just wanted to pay for it. And so finally I was, uh, yeah, I just signed up immediately at like the highest tier with the coaching. Cause back then it wasn't what it is now. It was different levels. And I signed up for the highest tier thinking I'm going to get this book done finally that I've been sitting on for almost a decade. And so you, there wasn't a link. So did, did we have you book a call with someone on the team <laughs> no. or what happened there? <laughs> this was before the calls. It was not yeah. an easy process. I'll have you know, but it was, it was a link, but you didn't share the link until the end of the webinar. I so, see. and yeah, I, yeah. and I don't know if the webinar was live, I'm assuming not, but at the end it was like, and just click the, the link at the end of this webinar and I'm waiting and waiting and trying to click. And so finally I, I clicked and just signed up immediately. And then um, Rami was my coach, that, but I didn't I have my first call with him until like two weeks later. I see. Cool. So uh, you joined the program, had your call with your coach two weeks later. How long until uh, you 
uh, you wrote and published the book and what did that process look like? <laughs> I, the book that I had joined to publish, I didn't publish first. I joined the program. I had intended to publish this fictionalized memoir. It was pretty much my memoir, but I was publishing it as fiction, which now the cat's out of the bag, literally. <laughs> Everyone knows it's my memoir, so it's, I'm just kind of owning it. But um, this is the part of the story a lot of people find interesting is as soon as I joined, I'm talking like days after I joined, my dad called me and told me he only had three months to live. And the, you know, the slogan for self-publishing school is blank page to published author in 90 days. I'm like, okay. So I, I just remember I posted in the group and said, is this even possible? Like my dad's dying wish is to hold my first book in his hands and he wants to see me become a bestseller. So I switched my focus entirely away from the memoir because it was taking so long. And my coach told me, well, what do you know the most? What are you going to get done the fastest and you know the most about? And I'm thinking, okay, yoga, <laughs> I can do that. So I just straight up sat down, wrote a book about yoga. I had it published within 29 days and um, it, it was published in well under 90 days by 90 days, it was a bestseller. And I had the picture of my dad holding the book a week before he died. So I did it. And it was just completely not the direction I thought I was going. And then I, I pushed out the memoir later. And so how did you pivot so quickly? And how did you publish within 90 days bestseller by, or sorry, publish within 29 days bestseller by 90 days? I mean, that's, that's a crazy timeline. Yeah, it was. It was um, sheer motivation. My dad lit up a fire under my butt, basically. It was like all I did. Honestly, I, I ignored any other responsibilities. And every time I would talk to him, he just said, get the books done. So I just spent all day, every day getting the book written. And then I hired a company to help me get everything together. And they like did the marketing at first. Honestly, though, that was a complete waste of money. <laughs> like it was, it was not helpful to get that stuff done by someone else because my book actually was a bestseller before we even started promoting. Honestly, I just kind of got lucky with that book. It hit like a vein in the, in that genre and it just did really well. It launched and then it brought in people from, you know, as leads from the business, but it did really well. It brought in, it sold like 9,000 copies in the first 30 days or something. And it did really well, but then eventually sales just dropped off completely. It just like, it was popular and then it wasn't. So I just happened to get lucky with the subject I published about. That's great. Um, and, and so I'm going to dive into a couple of different pieces uh, of this story. So joined the program, pivoted <laughs> pretty much immediately. It was, it was a uh, kind of a, a, a blaze to the finish uh, published within 90 days or published within 29 days, bestseller by 90 days, sold 9,000 copies within the first few months. What was the toughest part of that process? Uh, and, and why, like, why do you think it sold so well and then not as well? Like, what do you, what do you kind of attribute that to? Um, and then first of all, I only wrote it in 29 days. I didn't publish it I within 29 yeah. days. So I, I published it within like two and a half months, but it was still under the 90. But anyway, I, I don't know, honestly, I think honest to God, I think it just got lucky for that first launch. I think it was a popular subject at the time and people were really into it because it's called yoga for you. And so it's basically like the, the spiritual science behind yoga for Westerners, because a lot of people think it's just about making your butt look good in stretchy pants and getting flexible. And that's not what it's about. So I think it was a popular subject at the time and now it's not, it sold relatively well for about a year 
Then less than a year later, I put out my second book, which was Overcoming Chronic Pain Through Yoga. That to this day is still my best-selling book. I'm still making it, I, I, but I still run ads to it. I stopped running ads to the first one. Now the first one only really sells, I think, when people read my Chronic Pain Through Yoga book. It's Overcoming Chronic Pain Through Yoga. I think they read that, then they read the first one. But the Chronic Pain book still does extremely well. It's I can't remember how many copies per month it sells, but it's still bringing in like four figures a month, every month. Oh, wow. So. That's great. So, I mean, talk about literal pain pills versus vitamins. I mean, we always talk yeah. about you know, the concept of it's easier to sell pain pills than vitamins uh, and how not many people wake up in the morning saying, I want a vitamin today. I can't wait to have my vitamins. But a lot of people do wake up and say, hey, my back hurts or I'm in pain mm-hmm. and I need a pain pill. And so, uh, you know, we talk about this is the reason why so, you know, you go to shop for vitamins and there's a bajillion options. They try to make them all cool and fancy or chewable or animal shapes or all that. And pain pills is just generic ibuprofen. or gen- And that's because pain pills sell better than vitamins. So outside of that, because obviously I'm going to ask, why, why, why do you think that book has been the top selling book of all time for you personally, outside of the pain pills versus vitamins, anything else that you think you nailed with the hook of the book or in kind of your promotion uh, with the book since then, or why is that book sold so well? I think it's just super specific. I mean, think about it, overcoming chronic pain through yoga. There are a lot of people who like, if, if that's what they type into the search bar, and to be fair, I knew a lot more about publishing because at this point I'd been through self-publishing school and I knew what I was doing. I had a better cover designer. I redid both covers later and um, the sales tripled with both of them. Like the cover was such a huge deal. And then I just, I knew more who to promote to. I had also built up a bigger audience by accident with my first book. So I had a lot more people following me, which is interesting because I've pivoted so many times (laughs) that all those readers, I took out all the lead magnets, I took out all the promotional stuff out of both of those books because I'm not actually working with clients anymore for that because I've completely switched over to editing, but I still get emails on a weekly basis of people telling me, thank you so much. Like this is saving me. And so it's specific. That's great. Now I want to quickly talk just a little bit more writing and then I want to move into kind of business growth and author vantage journey. And then hopefully into editing you've since written you. So you started off on kind of fictionalized memoir, but you've since circled back to, writing fiction and nonfiction, and now with your daughter uh, writing books, which I think is just so amazing. What if, how did you do that? Uh, this is kind of a big question, but uh, I, I just kind of go for it where, where you want to take it. So how, how did you do that? What are the lessons learned kind of crossover both genres? And then what's been the, re- the most rewarding part of, of uh, working uh, with your daughter and helping your daughter write and publish mm-hmm. books? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was a big question. So nonfiction I did because it was easy and it was the fastest thing I could do. Fiction scared me a little bit, but now I'm in such a groove. I have multiple pen names. I think I have 29 books now. I think, I think I just published the 29th. Yeah. I'm working on book 30 and I have a lot more coming. So the fiction is, I can just bust those out a lot faster and multiple pen names, so it's easy to keep producing them. I do have a lot more nonfiction coming, but that takes more effort now because now they're gonna be heavily researched. They're based on editing and business and they need to be a lot more impressive. <laughs> so that 
Um, the reason I have multiple pen names is so as not to confuse my readers. So Cat Wanders, like I used my business name and my actual name for the nonfiction. Then my full name, Katarina Wanders, for one of my fiction genres. And then all the other fiction genres have multiple pen names that aren't related at all. Um, in the process, learning to write fiction, I think was just, it's, I've been studying it for a long time and my daughter was kind of watching me do it and thinking, this is really cool. I want to write a book. And one day she just said, so I had this idea for a book. There's these twin girls and one of them can control water and the other one can control fire. And then she just goes off on this whole really impressive storyline that she's really thought out. And I kind of looked at her. I'm like, Aura, we need to make this into a book. This is really cool. <laughs> Where did you come up with this? And she was, she's really into manga and anime and she reads a lot. And so she's obsessed with Harry Potter and she just had all these great ideas. So we sat down, we created an outline and I actually did a post about this on my blog because it was a process. People seem to think that she just is magical and wrote a book and she is amazingly talented, but there was a lot more that went into it. So, I mean, it was like, we voice recorded, we set out the plot. I had to rewrite it. She would then rewrite it and then we'd rewrite it again. And then she had a whole team of professional editors. So it was a process, but it was really rewarding. I mean, she, she is such an introvert and she's so shy and like the amount of recognition she started getting and then like all the kids at school knew her, the teachers were all buying her book and she was, she had fans contacting her. We set up a social media profile for her on Instagram and she literally had fans that are contacting her like, hi, here's a picture of me with your book. So it's been a, it's been a journey also helping her stay humble <laughs> because I'm not going to lie. It went to her head a little bit, but she's still working on book two. It has proven to be a much slower process because now she's really adamant about like doing the entire thing herself and it's taking a while, but it's been a journey and she's, she's grown a lot from it. That's amazing. How old was she when, when she wrote the first book? Eight. Eight. So we've got eight-year-old Emma Sumner, we've got eight-year-old Aura Wonders, and we've got Anita Oman's kids. I forget how old they were when they wrote Elaine, their books. Yeah, Elena, I think, was 10 when she wrote hers. And Aura was, she was eight when she wrote it, nine when she published it. She might have even just turned 10 when we published it, but she's 11 okay. now, so. Yeah, okay. Uh, and then, gosh, I forget, Anita Oman's youngest kid that was an author Ian. Ian. Mm -hmm. Ian, yeah. gosh, that was a highlight. Honestly, for me, that was probably one of the top five moments of Author Vans Live last year is just seeing him come on stage and seeing like, uh, yeah, it's just so cool seeing kids there. And I know you and I were talking kind of before this interview of, of that's something I'm super passionate about. And I think more parents should do this after you do the process, do this process with your kid. And I think it's mm -hmm. better than gosh, all of so many other things that parents waste money on, on their kids growing up. Like, I feel like just it's the, the kid learns so many life skills. What, what would be just, what would be your, your tips for, for other parents out there who are thinking about writing a book with their kid or, uh, or, or, you know, yeah, just maybe this is the first time they've even thought of it. Um, what would be your tips to them? Just be encouraging and be pretty persistent with being encouraging there's a fine line between encouraging and nagging. So um, I'm not going to even pretend that I didn't go as far as nagging for a lot of it because I really wanted her to do this and I knew she could. And we're not talking, like this wasn't like a little children's book. Hers was a 400 page fantasy novel. So it's, it's a, oh, I should have had it right here, but it's, it's a, it's a big fat novel. So it's not, you have to really 
work with the children, but you have to be encouraging because they're going to get discouraged. And if you've written a book yourself, you know, you know, there's imposter syndrome. You don't think you're good enough. You have to make sure it's cool enough if they're in the middle school age that their friends aren't going to make fun of them. <laughs> so it's just constant reassurance. That's great. And, and great tips there. I want to, I want to back up to, to you and kind of using the book to, to grow your business. And so I remember, you know, one of, this is one of my favorite stories with yoga for you is like launching the book, getting, I think it was 10 clients in like the first month. Mm -hmm. How did you do that? How did you go from, I launched this book to I'm getting clients. Um, and, and what did kind of all that look like? I really wish I had like a formula that I could share with you to, <laughs> for other people to follow. But it's basically people contacted me because they stumbled across the book. The first person, the book wasn't even out yet. I don't understand how she found it. I didn't set it up for pre-order. I hadn't launched it. It had been like, it had just gone live and somehow she stumbled across it and messaged me on Facebook and said, Hey, I think your book is really going to help me. When can I order it? <laughs> it was so weird, but we are still in contact. She was the first client to sign up with me. And then um, as soon as it was released, I'd say, I think I got all of them within like the first few weeks and they just reached out to me. I had no process whatsoever, but I did already work with um, coaching people one-on-one -on -one who dealt with chronic pain. So, I mean, I knew what I was doing already. I just wasn't prepared for how to interact with them when they found me at random like that, <laughs> because my other clients are people who I had had referred to me and things like that. So I had to basically create a process from there. And it, this entire journey from 2016 till now has been flying by the seat of my pants, screwing up a lot, upsetting people <laughs> in the process and figuring it out as I went along. And I think I have a lot of knowledge now and now I'm pretty confident, but I mean, even now there's things that'll happen. I'm like, oh, okay, I have to change that. So For it's sure. been a learning process. For sure. Fail fast, fail forward, fail often. That's one of our oh, uh, yeah. values in self-publishing school. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. So how many clients did you get? What was the price point? And how did you sign them up within, within the month or a few weeks right after the launch? Um, well, it was a $3,000. My coaching program at the time was $3,000 and I got 10 people. Well, actually I got 11 people now that I think about it. Cause I made $33,000 within the first 30 days. And that wasn't including royalties. Yeah. The royalties were good too. Like I actually, that first month it sold really well. The second month it sold reasonably well. The third month it sold okay. And now it, you know, it sells like 20 copies a month or something. It's not yeah. doing that well now, but it's, yeah. it was, it was definitely like a, an explosion all at the beginning. Yeah. And so I, I'm trying to even remember, they contacted me. I sent them a form to find out like what type of issues they were dealing with and if I could help them or not. Then we got on the phone and I just, I took their money through Stripe right then and there, signed them yeah. up in the program. And then I finally figured out, okay, well now I have several of you because at that point I think I had 20. So then I threw them all into a Facebook group together so they could encourage each other. So I just kind of figured that out. <laughs> and then I signed up for another course for business building through an online course portal program just so I could figure that out and then just kind of built it from there. Cool. And then this was back when we were doing elite business intensives, which we mm -hmm. haven't done those in ages, uh, kind of in-person stuff. I, I want to move kind of into the pivot. What were your biggest takeaways? I think you came to two, maybe three mm -hmm. um, elite business three. intensives, three. Um, what were your biggest takeaways from, from those? How did those grow your business? And then ultimately, 
why and how did you decide um, to, to pivot the business to, I now know it's what you were already doing kind of early on, which is, which is editing uh, uh, and things like that. Yeah, I, I had a background in editing from, like I have a master's in English and everything. So I mean, that's honestly something when I went into traditional publishing, I thought I'd do that forever. And then I didn't like the traditional publishing industry. So I left, joined the circus, <laughs> and literally. And it was just something I thought I'd do on the side. I had no idea I could make an income, like an actual livable wage editing on the side. So it was something I did on the side a little bit and it was always there, but I never really thought I could do it full time. So then when the, the yoga thing and the chronic pain coaching, when that started really taking off, because I have lots of licenses in that, like the yoga therapist and things like that, I thought, okay, this is, this is my ticket to success. Um, I went to the first, by the, it, that time it was the BBBI. <laughs> it was not the EBI. <laughs> and it was a terrible name, Chandler. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. The book-based business, business intensive. Yep. I mean, we don't, we don't really focus a lot on names around here, <laughs> but I remember that when we, when we land on the acronym, I was like, B-B-B-I, this is horrible. We've got yep. to change this. But sell them yes. build, that's what we always talk about. Uh, sorry, yep. I interrupted your story. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so that was the first one I went to. And my thought was, okay, this yoga chronic pain coaching thing is obviously what I'm doing. And, you know, Chandler helped me. So he'll, I'll just you know, I'll go see him, pay him more money and he'll help me more. And, um, there was like, there was like that one golden nugget that you said that one time about getting referrals. So I want to say I made, oh my gosh, now I can't remember. It, it was like another crazy jump where I emailed them to sell them a, an up-level coaching program and 10 of the 11 did it. So that, I think I made like 50 grand in like a week. So it was, it was insane. Like whatever it was, it was really insane. And I'm doing that and realizing, gosh, this is really not fun for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm working a lot and I'm dealing with all these people who are suffering and complaining and I'm helping them. So I feel good, but it was starting to like, I was starting to have more problems again in the process. All those people I met at the we'll just call it EBI. <laughs> All the people I met at that particular event were interested in editing with me. So they, they were all producing books and they wanted a high level editor. So they, almost all of them ended up hiring me to do their books. So I made all these connections and realized, wow, I just made all these editing connections at this event. This is really what I enjoy doing. Like, why am I, so why? So I finally started just pivoting more into editing. Eventually I just let my license expire with the chronic pain therapy. And I just, I just kind of let it die. I did contact everyone there and said, Hey, I'm pivoting. I, I want you to know I'm not leaving you. I'm still here for you, but here are other resources of people who can help you that I trust. And they helped me. So I just kind of, you know, gently nudged them out of the nest and <laughs> sent them on their way. And fully pivoted everything to the editing business that was what I wanted to be doing. And honestly, it's what I'm really best at. So. Hey, Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right. So if you've learned something, we want to help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team. We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book 
it's time to implement. That's great. And I think there's similarities and lessons that we both learned, which is sometimes you're doing one thing and a bunch of people, it's like, I always say people can only, you can only get smacked in the face so many times before you turn around and look and then you turn around and look and there's all these people there <laughs> and they're saying, <laughs> yeah. help us with that thing. And so I think that's a good, good feedback for, for folks who are watching this on the YouTube channel, listening to this on the podcast, who are thinking about pivoting. Um, and, and so, um, yeah, just really good takeaways there. Let's walk uh, through the, uh, the editing business. Like that's just exploded. Um, I know a ton of people at self-publishing school work with you. Like how have you grown that into, I think it's seven figure editing business. Like how has that worked and how have you grown that business so quickly? Well, it hit seven figures last year. I have since kind of siphoned it down a little. It was too much for me. <laughs> so this is another thing. If you're building a business really quickly, just know that you can get burned out really fast. And I did. I started having a lot of health problems and I was just overdoing it. Now I have turned so much of it over to my team that my profit margin is lower and I'm okay with that. I, <laughs> I am fine <laughs> with, um, like we're still, you know, we're still well above six figures. So it's like, it's not like we're suffering. It's just, I am not pouring as much of myself into it as I was, but it took me completely burning out to figure that out. The journey to that was literally starting from zero. So like I said, I started there was, you know, circus performer, then, oh, look, self-publishing school, I'm going to write a book. And then boom, the book exploded into an accidental business. And then from there, it moved into editing. So literally all of this was because of self-publishing school. Like it's, none of this would have happened if I hadn't come across that random webinar that one day, this, I would not be here. <laughs> so it's literally all because of figuring that out from that book process. I started making connections. I honestly paid a lot of attention to how you built self-publishing school and kind of modeled it after that. My webinars were modeled after yours. My business structure was modeled after yours. Only instead of bringing people into a program to help them publish a book, it was bringing people into the editing services. And now what I'm doing also is teaching people how to edit their own books and each other's books so that they can save more money on editing because editing is expensive if you want it to be high quality. And if you can learn to quote unquote, edit your own books, you should never be the only editor for your book. But like, if you can actually edit them to a higher level of quality, then you do not have to spend as much on editing, especially if you're writing a lot of books. There's just certain little things that people pay me to do that they could learn themselves. So I kind of modeled it all after that. Um, and like I said, it was a lot of trial and error. Every, all my systems that are in place now, because it started, it was just me dealing with my inbox and <laughs> my social awkwardness. So trying to interact with people when I just wanted to hide behind a screen. And then every time a problem would come up, it's always, okay, well, how do I make sure that problem never comes up again? And then it was figuring out a system and figuring out another system. And then when that system didn't work, it was revamping a whole new system. So in the process, though, I've, I now have a full team. I have a team of other editors who specialize in different genres. Um, I've trained kind of like my little protege. She's a lot younger than me, and I've managed to train her to edit just like me. We've worked together so long. So I've, she's my chief editor now. She manages the inbox. She 
helps me keep my sanity. <laughs> but we're very, very similar. Like we're, her, our personalities are very similar. And like even our styles of clothing are similar. It's honestly, she's so much like me. It just worked. And if I hadn't found her, I would probably still be floundering. And then the business grew a lot faster than I could handle. So that was just, that was when I burned out. And I was also doing ghostwriting at the time too, which I'm not doing anymore because it was, at the end of the day, I sat and looked at the numbers and actually through a referral from you, the 2X company helped me systematize everything. And it made me look at my numbers and figure out, okay, where is most of my time going? And where is most of my income coming from? So here I am thinking these high-end ghostwriting clients, you know, 50 grand a pop, like this is where all my money's coming from. But then I looked at the amount of time spent and the amount of outsourcing to pay my team to help me with it. That $50,000 would take, it would take like a year and it was not actually worth my time. Where my time was really going was to that when it could be going to the quote unquote lower end clients who only want one or two rounds of editing. And I realized, well, let's focus on that. It's a higher volume of people at a lower price, which is completely the opposite of what I had been trained. I had been trained that like you focus on the high end clients because they're going to treat you the best and they're going to spend the most money and invest. But when it came down to it, the people who just needed a round of editing, I could take in a higher volume at a lower price. And that's actually been significantly more beneficial for me now that I've cut out the things that were sucking my time dry. But it took me looking at my numbers in spreadsheets to really figure out that that's where my time was going. That's great. Uh, let's talk editing for a few minutes. So what has running an editing business taught you about editing from an author's perspective? So like, how do you write your books differently now that you've edited a bunch of books? Oh, that's an interesting question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that. So uh, how do I write my books differently? I'd say my writing has just improved the more I learn because the more you edit, the more you learn. I mean, I'm a better editor now than I was 15 years ago when I started, obviously, but also grammar changes and story structure changes. What's popular changes. So there are certain things I will catch people doing when I'm reading, especially in fiction, but it, all, there are certain things I notice. I'm like, I'm losing interest here. Why? Okay, it's about the pacing. So pacing is important here. Or um, people who use di dialogue tags a lot, and it just says the line, he said, then she said, and then he said over and over again. And it's really distracting and sucks you out. So it helps me to look for things in my own writing, but also to pull those things out and really look for those when I'm editing certain people's books. Cause everyone has like their weird little things they do. And if someone is coming to me for like, say a 10 book series, I can help call those things out at the beginning and say, Hey, look at this in the future for your writing. So then it improves their writing as well. If they're really paying attention to my edits, their writing will improve and mine does in the process. But then when it comes to the world of business and self-help business books are where business and medical books were my initial specialty. I do a lot of self-help now too. And because I get so many of them, eventually they do start to run together. So I'm able to pick out themes and also what's popular in the genre at the time. So I can really help tell someone, hey, what you're doing right here was really popular like eight years ago, but let's pivot more to this focus here so I can help you figure out where, where your strengths are and how you're going to capture your audience. And I kind of not kind of, I really also apply that to my own books as well. So like the business books and the editing books I have coming out, I'm really familiar with the genres. So I know what areas to focus on based on what's popular at the time. That's great. Now, these are kind of big questions, but I'd love to just get the highlights. 
what should authors look for in finding a, a good editor uh, and how much should they expect to pay for, for, for a good editor going through the process? This is such a, there's such a wide range here because honestly it comes down to the shape your book is in. I've known people who have gotten great editing for a few hundred dollars. Now those were probably pretty well-written books. I've had some manuscripts come to me to the point where obviously writing was not the person's biggest strength <laughs> and it's clear the person is an expert in the subject but the writing itself if a person has bad grammar it's probably going to cost more because it's tedious if i have to move a comma comma in every single sentence change the grammar to, and rewrite every single sentence it's going to probably cost in the thousands because it will take me weeks and weeks to get all this done. Whereas story structure, if someone can take feedback really well, then yeah, a couple hundred bucks. Hey, fix the structure. They restructure the book and come back. So it honestly just depends on the author's ability to take feedback and what the manuscript looks like at the beginning. But then there's editors who are just starting their careers and they will just take any job they can get. They may not be the best, but they're probably still very good, even though they're new. So at that point, you could spend just a few hundred dollars get a fairly inexperienced editor and then you could go to like a really high-end proofreader afterward so it just it just depends and then there are those clients who they just don't want to deal with it they just want top dollar top top of the line editing make the book traditional publishing quality and then we can just handle it for them there are a lot of editors out there like that so there there's no formula to how much you're going to pay but i do tell people expect to pay at least two cents per word, no matter what. If someone's charging you less than two cents per word and saying they're going to edit the book fully and completely, then you're, you're, not, you're not getting, <laughs> you're not really getting quality or it's also very possible you're not getting what you think you're getting. And the other thing to really look for is make sure your editor understands what type of editing you're looking for and make sure that you have the same verbiage. You think you would think that as editors, we could agree on what's what, <laughs> but we don't. <laughs> There's in traditional publishing, we had developmental editing, then content editing, then copy editing, then proofreading. Those were four different editors with different specializations. Every book went through at least four to six rounds of editing before publication. Well, now you have all these freelance editors who call copy editing, line editing, or line editing, content editing, or developmental editing, all encompassing. So just ask lots of questions about what they have. And a lot of editors will have like a form or a PDF or something they can send you that will break it down. And if they don't, then just lots of questions. Ask all the questions. <laughs> oh, that's great. Any, any other tips on how to, how to know that the person is actually good and then also where, uh, where to find good editors? This is a really tough one. So if you're, it, it's a really, really tough one because reviews aren't necessarily that helpful because every author is going to think their editor did a great job because they get the book back better than it was before. Um, I would suggest asking for credentials, but even that, I mean, I know some really great editors who never went to school for it. There are still certain mistakes they make. Some people suggest sending a test piece, like a, like a little test edit to a bunch of different editors and see who misses the most or things like that. Sometimes it's just a matter of your taste though. Get your samples from people. If they do samples, 
see what you think, talk to people who have worked with those editors, find out what they liked about those editors and make sure those people referring them worked, had them work on a book that's similar to what you're doing. Because yeah, a great sci-fi editor is not going to do a great job on your medical journal. Like it just, so yeah, it's, it's kind of difficult <laughs> like, because yeah. the, re the reviews don't necessarily help. It's just a matter of really doing your homework on it and referrals. For sure. For sure. Uh, those are really great tips. Also, um, if you're a self-publishing school student, check out uh, the book production partners list, um, formerly known as the outsourcers Rolodex. Um, really, really helpful. We've got exclusive discounts um, for pretty much everything in the book process, but also including editors. Um, we, we try to keep that as up to date as possible. That's a big focus for us um, over the next three, six months is really just making that even better. So uh, if you are a student, make sure that you use that. Uh, and there's some great resources there, uh, including CAT. Uh, now, a couple final questions. We're in the home stretch here. Um, on behalf of editors everywhere, what's one thing that authors need to know? Stop double spacing between your sentences. <laughs> that's, that's my biggest biggest pet peeve <laughs> we are not in a typewriter age anymore there is no yeah. need to do that and it's it, depending on the type of file you wrote your book in the editor might just tell you to do it yourself because in word it's easy you just you just remove all the double place, spaces yeah. google docs easy but there's certain certain software types that depending on what your editor works in it's a huge pain in the butt but it's that's the biggest one and what's, <laughs> and then your, what's also, your favorite software to to, uh, to edit books in and then it sounds like you had another tip oh you're gonna laugh at me my favorite is google docs and i i love google docs i love it for its shareability i love that multiple people can work on it at once i know word is shifting in that direction so maybe i will convert back to word one day but I love Google Docs. My least favorite is Scrivener. It's, it's, it's a nightmare yeah. for editors. But my, my other suggestion is a lot of people seem to think that putting a word in all caps is the best way to emphasize a word. And that is not done in publishing. It should be in italics, not all capital letters. And that's a huge pain in the butt for the editor to fix because there's no easy fix. We have to go backspace the word and then retype it and put it in italics for you. And if you're one of those people who does that a lot, it's, it's very taxing for the Are editor. you talking to me? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe a little I bit. I <laughs> love all caps. I love ellipses. I love all the things that editors hate. I uh, actually love ellipses too. I am a big fan of ellipses. <laughs> Just not Oh, all caps. man. Okay. Got it. Hey, uh, a couple final questions. Uh, you were author of Advantage Live last year, first ever um, big event that's now become kind of a yearly event. Obviously, in 2020, it's uh, we've transitioned to a virtual experience because of COVID and, and all those things. But what was your biggest takeaway from Author Advantage Live last year? And, and what was kind of most helpful um, from going in person? Hmm. Networking, honestly. I think it was really just meeting everyone. I, I was really overwhelmed, though. I am a hardcore introvert. <laughs> and there were a lot of people there. But I definitely... I got to make in-person connections with people who I had really gotten to know online and like via text message and phone calls. So I got to finally see them in person, but then I also got to make in-person connections that I've kept going since then. So like Anita, like we were just talking about with her daughter who published a book, we literally just had dinner last night and our daughters are in the other room texting each other right now. So, I mean, like it was the friendships for me. 
And I know a lot of people got a lot out of the presentations and things like that. But for me personally, the biggest takeaway were, was the, the people I met. For sure. Well, and you've been in kind of our world for a long time and been to a lot of different events. Um, I, I already where, knew I, I, mean, I feel like there's a lot of those <laughs> concepts. What'd you say? I already knew almost everything that was presented on stage. For sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like a lot of the concepts are things that I literally not taught anywhere else, but the events that you'd been at. Mm -hmm. um, so yep. <laughs> why, you, why, why come back this year? I mean, why come back this year? And, and for anyone who's listening to this, um, watching this saying, hey, I'm on the fence about Author Advantage Live. Why should they come? Should they come? Uh, talk to that. I don't see any reason not to come, especially because now it's virtual this year. There's really no excuse not to come. I mean, I can see when it was in person. And I, but for me, the reason I'm coming back again is the networking because there's going to be people there that it's just a chance to connect and to have that group energy is just different. I don't really know how to explain it, but even the EVIs that I went to, there's just something different about spending time in the room with those people. One of the connections I made, I believe she lives in Switzerland, but Monica at one of the EBIs, like we're super close now. And it's just, to I, I never would have connected with her or met her in person otherwise, you know, in Switzerland. And I was planning my trip to Switzerland and she's like, we'll go skiing together in the mountains. I mean, that doesn't happen when you just meet people online. 100%. And, and in a world where, you know, I feel like a lot of people and maybe you felt this way, I know I certainly have, where it's, okay, I'm in this town and maybe it's a small town, maybe it's a big city, but there, I don't feel like there's people around me who care about the things that I care about, who are doing the things that I'm doing uh, and, and that I can just have real conversations about this stuff with. I think that's probably one of the most valuable things uh, for me when I started getting in, into the world of going to events. And uh, mm -hmm. our goal is... With Author Advantage Live 2020 virtual experiences is to recreate that as best as possible. Uh, mm -hmm. We're going to probably fail fast, fail forward in a lot of areas, but truly <laughs> like create an experience. That's why we're calling it the virtual experience, not an online event, because it's not a three-day webinar. Uh, it truly is going to, you know, breakout rooms, experiential, uh, all those things. And so we might not be able to be in person uh, with each other, but I think it's, it's just going to be an amazing experience, uh, or at mm -hmm. least I sure hope so. We'll see if we can if we can pull it off, but a uh, kind of final question here, knowing what you know now, uh, Kat, you know, you said 29 books in fiction, nonfiction, you've edited a bajillion books. What, what would be your advice to the cat from years ago, like pre first book or all those people like you who are listening to this, uh, listening to this interview on the podcast or watching on the, on the YouTube self-publishing school, YouTube channel. Like what, what would be your advice to that person who's thinking about or is about to uh, write their first book? No, I'm what you know now. I don't think there's a lot I would really do differently. So I'd, I'd probably just do it all almost the same again. The only thing I would change is I wouldn't have gone through um, an all-encompassing book production. Like the, what I did to hurry the process along, I kind of wish I hadn't done that. Um, the the editing was subpar. And I, as an editor, I just, because I'd come from traditional publishing, I expected it to be edited to those standards. And then my first review, it was three stars. She really liked the book, but she said, it needs to be edited for consistency. Like, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> I am an editor. So, uh, so just really like focusing on who is involved in your cover, your formatting, your editing, just really focusing more on that. But I mean, that's okay. I learned from that and I applied it to my next book. So it's, it was all what it needed to be. 
That's great. Um, where can people find out more about you, your books, working with you from an editing perspective, all that good stuff? Wanderingwordsmedia.com is my website. And then that has, it's also catwanders.com, but they, they go to the same place. And that'll have information about my books and my editing services. Cool. Perfect. Cat, uh, this has been amazing. Uh, hey guys, if you, if you want to meet Cat and a bunch of other uh, folks in the, uh, the self-publishing school community, uh, at Author Advantage Live, get a ticket. Uh, depending on when Indeed. you're uh, watching this uh, or listening to this, it might be coming up the virtual experience or maybe it's afterwards. Well, guess what? There's going to be another one next year uh, and it'd be in person and there's a decent chance the cat will be there. <laughs> um, be so uh, <laughs> grab a ticket today. Honestly, it's going to be amazing. Uh, and because it's virtual, we, we've been able to make this just super accessible for people. Uh, and from a pricing perspective, you don't have to travel. There's no, uh, you know, there's, there's not, you know, all the flights and hotels and all that stuff. We probably, I guess, never say never, but there's a good chance we're not going to do this again. And I know there's probably going to be a lot of people next year saying, hey, can we do the virtual thing? Uh, but no, uh, this, this is it. At least that's the plan up to this point. Um, so grab a ticket, authoradvantagelive.com. Uh, if you want to work with us at self-publishing school, uh, go to self-publishingschool.com forward slash apply, book a call with the team. And we'd love to chat with you about your book and, uh, and growing a business using your book, if that's your goal, or just using a book um, to make more impact and to grow your income. So um, go those uh, two places uh, now if you're interested. And Kat, once again, this is awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of the Self-Publishing School Podcast. I know there's so many places that you can be spending your time. There's other podcasts that you could be listening to, YouTube channels that you could be watching. Uh, so thank you so much. It means the world. Now, I want you to do three things right now if you found this episode. All right, number one, I don't know if you know this, but we've got a YouTube channel. It's a companion channel to this podcast. All the video versions of the episode are on the YouTube channel. So number one, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Number two, if you're listening to this podcast wherever, whether this is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, number two, I want you to subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss a future episode. Uh, and then number three, this is probably the most important, uh, leave a review on the podcast. All right. Reviews are super important and help the podcast get discovered by other people. Uh, so number three, leave a review on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode. If you're on the fence about scheduling a publishing consultation call with my team, maybe you're not quite ready uh, for that, I've got some free training that I think will be really helpful for you. All right, all you have to do is go to register to sign up. Go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. When you do, you're also going to get a free digital copy of my new book, Published. And on that training, you're going to learn the next step, so how to implement with your book. So how to write, how to publish, how to launch successfully. So go to register right now at selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. I'll see you there.